Let us go to the word, 2 Peter 3, 7 to 13. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Amen. God is righteous. God is righteous. God is righteous. God is righteous. Um, he is righteous because his word is righteous, Psalm 119, 123. His judgment is righteous, also Psalm 119, verse 75. In Psalm 103, 6 says, his work, He works righteousness and justice. He works righteousness and justice. And he vindicates the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. So whoever does righteous... God, who is righteous, will vindicate, prove that righteous person to be righteous and reward according to what he has done in his righteousness. And he will let the righteous behold his face in his presence in the righteousness, as Psalm seventeen fifteen says. How many of you long for his face, long to see his face, face to face, eye to eye? If we could be so moved uh, singing a song, uh, certainly it's not just a song. It is a praise lifting him up for he is living, he is present and receiving our praise. We are touched and moved to long for him more and more. Is this you? I feel that. I hope you feel that too. That you experience that longing through this hour of worship and our uh, moment of praise and Imagine that uh, to last eternally, perfectly in his presence. Amen? That's why we are brought to tears. Like, I want to follow you, even if it's difficult, all the, way, all, the way, all the way to where you are right now. That's in the Father's house in heaven. For that, um, we believe uh, that God is righteous, and therefore having faith means to uh, believe him as the only righteousness. So by that faith, being justified. So Romans 3.30 says... Uh, believe him who is the righteousness, we acknowledge him as righteous, uh, being the righteousness, that faith then makes us righteous. In other words, justify. I know I'm using the word over and over again, and we heard Pastor Kang preach about righteousness last year and here as well when we talk about faith. Um, but this is uh, still very important in line with uh, where we're going, which is the salvation of our souls, starting with the purpose, the goal, where we are, and today about how to get out. That's today's sermon, how to get out. So we start with the faith that believes in the righteousness, that is the righteous God. How many of you believe that? Do you believe that Yeshua, specifically Jesus Christ, Yeshua Christ is the righteousness? 
of God. Amen? And therefore, then God sees that as uh, pleasing, and not just pleasing, but approving. God approves that. God makes that the right answer. He makes that as the standard of right. Therefore, we don't end there, as we just read in the passage there in 2 Peter 3, understanding where we are. Where are we? Where are we? Oh, not, not, this is not hell. This is, what are you talking about? It's not hell. This is the world that will become hell. Yeah. I know you want to cut, you cut to the chase. This is hell. But, you know, then there, everyone will be looking at us like, you know, but this is the universe that will become hell. Yeah. Let's be more accurate there. So <clears throat> then we have, having made e- eternal life to be the purpose of my life through the goal. What is the goal? The mark? Resurrection to life. That's right. So. Eternal life is a purpose. Resurrection to life is the goal. And why do we even care? Because we live in the place that will become hell. And how do we get out? How do we get out? That's the question. How do we get out? The answer is by believing in his righteousness. But not only believing, but dwelling in righteousness. So where it says where righteousness dwells or the home of righteousness. Certainly that eternal home eternally safe, forever, far away, and never worry about hellfire is in heaven. That's the Father's house. That's where righteousness dwells. But until we get there, we still need to dwell in his righteousness right here, right now. Amen? Yes. Because our hope is to make it to that new heaven and new earth. We are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth. Even if the world things were crazy and they don't believe a, 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 not even close, anything close to what we say is true and what we believe and what we live for. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they react. It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter whether they accept us or reject us. But we believe the word of God is true and therefore we follow. Looking forward to new heaven and earth promise for us. Amen. Romans 5, 9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Because um, salvation is not complete. Certainly we have been saved by our faith from the price of sin. And therefore we have now become qualified. We made the qualifying games, if you will. Right. But we have not finished the race. There is no um, medals or nothing yet. We're still running the race. We've made the cut. By believing, by being justified. But because where we live now and we understand where we need to go, we still need to press on. Does that make sense? You, be- you believe that, yes? So to leave this burning universe, not illegally, but legally. In other words, legitimately. That is by law. Legitimate, legit means by law. I know people's like legit. But, but that, that legit is really being by law, by law, right? So by law, it's acknowledged. By law, it's approved. That's how we are going to leave. And until then, we must abide in the law, in the righteousness. I know today's um, topic of righteousness is kind of dry because it, it means law. Righteousness means law. Uh, it's a standard of what is right. It's the standard of rightness, rightness. And um, when you look at the human world, around the world in history, um, what is acknowledged to be right uh, and what is seen as wrong varies. So it varies by time and varies by places. So what was seen as um, right uh, in the past does not mean that it's right today. As Also, what was wrong before 
um, can be right today. So there are changes of laws and changes of norms. And not only past and present as in time, but by location. So certain parts of the law, of the world, um, a man can have like as many wives as he wants. And some of you are going like, and why am I here? I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. But other parts of some parts of the world, that's how it's treated. But in the past, that was true. And then you see in the Bible, that's what we read in the Old Testament. That was thousands of years ago. That was accepted to be norm. But it's no longer and certainly not here in this country, not at this time. Um, so it is um, something that's varied by uh, the general conscience, you know, this sort of... Uh, sense of guilt, sense of what is right and what is wrong that's from the heart, uh, and then that is accepted as uh, majority. And then when, it be- when the society becomes more formal or uh, developed, then you uh, make it into law. So there is penalty for breaking the law, breaking that norm. Now, what the Bible says about law is not uh, the same way. There are some similarities, but not always the same. Because the, the law or the righteousness in the world is relative. Relative to time, relative to the people, relative to the place. But the righteousness that the Bible talks about, therefore we need to pay attention to, is absolute. It's absolute righteousness of God. Because God is righteous. Amen? Because he is the one true God. And what he's, because he's righteous, simply he's right. You know how you, like, you grow up with, like, your mama says, mom, mom's always right? It's true. Like, I, some people told me, it's like, pastor, you do know everything. I said, no, not as much as the omniscient, omnipresent God. A little less. A little less, but I do know a lot. Even this week, you do know a lot, pastor. Um, so your mom is not God, righteous, but less than God, but is right. Mom is always right. Yeah, it's just the way it goes. Because if you think about it, mom lived much longer than you have, and that mom has all the care and interest in your life. So whatever she said, you might not like it, but in the end, she ends up being right. Yeah. And you add on, she's a preacher, then she's always right. Yes. Um. <laughs> so um, the right, absolute righteousness of the one true God, his word is righteous. And therefore, his judgment is righteous. Um, and what therefore... Uh, Bible shows as the word of God, um, the judgment of God. Anyone who breaks it is then judged as guilty and will be punished accordingly. So that's why we have to pay attention. Oh, you were like, I'm going to tune this one out because it's not my favorite. I like the part about God being loving and merciful and kind and compassionate, all those things, which yes, is true about God. But righteousness is so, so critical because depending on which side of God you are, on whether you're right with God or wrong in the eyes of God, your fate will be determined. Do you believe believe that about God? Yeah, heaven and hell is exactly that. If you believe that there is heaven and hell, and that's why we're here and going amen and crying and shouting, because even though we have not seen it, we have we believe it, and the Bible has testified that, and Yeshua Himself said it, and that His word is true. Therefore. What determines heaven or hell? What determines whether I get out of this burning universe or not is the righteousness. The righteousness of God. Amen? That's why we have to pay attention. Um, Other way of describing that biblically uh, in Greek, dikaiosune is righteousness or justice. It's a judicial approval or it's actually God's approval. So simply, what is deemed right in the eyes of God? How God sees, what God sees as right is right. What God sees as wrong is wrong. Whether you like it or not, 
Yes? This is why people have a hard time. They say, okay, I'll just give it a go and try reading the Bible. And they start reading the Bible. And right at the get-go, like, they don't even go far. Like, not even beyond Noah. Once they realize, what? God drowned the whole world? Only eight people survive? Forget about that. And they shut the Bible. I don't want this kind of God. I don't want to know this God. I don't want to believe this God. What kind of God is that? But, but like, you haven't seen anything yet, man. You think that's bad? Keep on reading, right? God who commands people to kill everybody. I mean, there are sites of, like, even the little ones were there, too. It's like, oh, there were, like, little Korah and his sons and the children. All You can imagine they're screaming and crying and holding hands and the earth opening up. Fire coming down. It's like the whole scene. Like, oh. That's God. That's right. Who is loving and merciful. But even more important than that, beyond that, is that he is righteous. And that... One has to be found right according to his judgment to be saved in the end. That's why we must pay attention. God made man to be a living being by breathing into one man um, and making him a living being. So he is the ancestor of all mankind today. His name is Adam uh, and he is... uh, man um flesh man but we're referring to the spirit man once god makes uh, breathe his um his spirit breath into the man man now became uh, a living being a spiritual being so he is the ancestor of all of us here today so we have all received the spirit of adam therefore i am a living being say with me i'm a living being being. or i'm adam simply adam yeah so adam is like a large tree to which we all belong eight billion of us today all are attached to this one spirit called the spirit of adam now he lived in the garden of eden where he was to live by the word of god which is righteous that had said do not take from this one tree called the tree of knowledge good and evil uh if you eat of it you will surely die and um for some times he some for some time duration we don't know how long he he obeyed that um but he was uh, deceived. He was tempted. Adam was tempted uh, through his wife Eve, who heard the words of the serpent, a snake. I know. The people who are hearing it's like, what? A snake talking to a woman and woman giving the fruit? And then what? This is what the Bible says? It, yes, that's what it says. And that it is true. Um, and what it reminds us is that uh, once um, Adam took the fruit, it was not the fruit itself that, that killed him like Snow White situation, but rather it was disobeying the word of God and forgetting the warning, which said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, even though physically nobody died right away, what uh, happened was that the spirit of man had died as a result of sin. Because sin is the separation between God and man. So when man disobeyed, when Adam disobeyed the word of God, he became cut off from God, the source of life. And God made that into physical reality by showing that, uh, by uh, casting out um, Adam and Eve from the garden and putting a a flaming sword around it so the man can never return. No man can return to the paradise on earth uh, because that's a consequence of sin, being separated. A step further, separated from God, and now because he had listened to the lies of the serpent, who is actually the devil, all mankind became slaves of the devil. So the devil, um, so did God know about all this, by the way? Do you remember who God is? God is omnipresent, right? All present and therefore all knowing, omniscient. And he is almighty, omnipotent, all those omnis. Um, So was this any surprise to him? 
And if he really did not want man to eat from that tree, why did he even make it? Why, did, why was the tree even there? Or if the tree was like hidden in the, somewhere in the dark behind some shrub that he, they would never hang out at, it would not be a problem. But that tree was pretty much like right at the center. It's like, oh, 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 there it is. Oh, oh, there it is. And then it says, don't eat. So what, what was that really warning about? It's actually eat, if you think about it, right? What kind of God is that? God is righteous. So why would he do that? So the question that we should ask is not like, uh, how, 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 you know, how is that possible? Rather, we should ask, why did that happen? Why did God give that command? Why was that fruit, the tree there at the first place? And it was, yes, for Adam to be deceived to take the fruit. And who was the deceiver? Snake. But Revelation 12 says that ancient serpent is actually the fallen angel, which we talked about last week. The fallen angel um, who was made in the spiritual heaven outside the universe, way before any of, the uni- any of this was made or any of that happened. That this angel, as an archangel made to serve God, became proud because of his beauty and his talent. And he challenged the throne of God. He challenged God. He said, I will make myself like the most high. Isaiah fourteen twelve on describes also Ezekiel 28. So Lucia was his original name, but then he becomes Lucifer, which is uh, an evil king, uh, and simply Satan. So Satan means an enemy of God, adversary. Uh, an adversary of God. And as a result, he was kicked out of the spiritual heaven and cast into a prison cell. And this prison cell is very large. Where is this prison cell? Aki, right here. Yes, the universe, the immense space that we live right now became the prison cell. God put a guarding angel so that these fallen angels, along with Lucifer, other angels who followed him, are locked in. So Jude 1, 6 says that, and also 2 Peter 2, 4. Um, let's read that quickly together, uh, 2, 4. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So there it says chains of darkness. Another translation says gloomy dungeons, like dungeons. Dungeons and Dragons? Dungeons, like underground prison cell where you can't get out. And then chains make it real, that they're bound, cannot get out. So this imagery of um, prison cell, and it says they went to hell. So just looking at English translation, you're like, oh, hell. So they must be in the hell fire right now. Nothing to do with me, us here. Uh, in Greek, it's Tartaros. Uh, and Tartaros, in, in English, it was translated into um, hell, But the fire hell, the burning hell moment that Jesus, Yeshua himself, uh, used to describe um, and and teach about in Matthew 5.22 is gaina, hey gaina. So that's another Greek word for hell. All translated into English, hell. Just like Hades, ho Hades, Hades. But when you look at Greek texts, they're slightly different. And Tartaros is more of this darkness, dark place, where they're being held as prisoners. So the universe that we live today, that is ho hades in Greek, or sheol in Hebrew, is this gray space that is dark, the pit, the grave, um, and that is bound with chains of darkness to become hellfire, burning hell, the lake of fire, the lake of uh, sulfur, burning sulfur later on, which is he gena. Until then, they're held here, and they will be judged and punished, and judged by the righteousness of God. So in order for the righteousness of God to judge this rebellious angel, God instruct 
God, dis, um, God um, constructed. He, um, according to his plan, made his schedule and um, did all these things one after another, including the event in the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden, taking the fruit, Adam sinning, was not by accident that God was asleep, that he, he you know, and said, oh, oh my God, what happened? What's plan B now? What are we going to do? Son, go down there and help these people out. Okay, Father, I shall go. That's not how it happened. He, God didn't go to, uh, uh, you know, back to a square one drawing board and then let's start over. That's not how it happened. It happened as God predicted, as God planned, uh, and he proceeded with the plan, uh, which is that man becomes a slave of the devil without mankind knowing, but in time, God would reveal that by sending his son to destroy the devil's work, as 1 John 3, 8 says. And according to that schedule, God called on the people when they were in their slavery to become the people of God. Who are these people? The people of Israel. They were initially known as Hebrews or the descendants of Abraham. Um, When God sent Moses to bring them out of their slavery under the Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, um, They had been there for 400 plus more years and they had forgotten about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But Moses is a man of God to be sent there uh, would instill in them. This is your God that our ancestor, your ancestor may covenant with. And according to his promise and prophecy, he's going to let us, let, uh, let the people out of this slavery and lead us into the promised land. So, um, after, uh, the 10 plagues, the Passover night, which involved the death of the firstborn, but because of the blood that they put on uh, following God's command, uh, the children of Israel survived. So they crossed the Red Sea and went to, into the wilderness before reaching the promised land. So now their promise, Exodus 19, 6, to be a holy nation of God, a holy people of God. What kind of people? Holy, holy people, holy nation of God. Holy means what? Not holy. I don't know why people think that. People, most people think holy, nice, silent. Oh, holy means silent. Okay, holy means silent. This church is not holy. Yeah? But that's not what holy means. Holy is kadosh, which is to be set apart. Completely different from the rest. It's, it has a meaning of purity. It also has a meaning of being set apart. And that's a very important meaning. So these are people who are set apart. How? Why? Because God, the righteous God, chose them. And then now he's going to rule by his judgment, his righteous judgment, his righteous word. So that will set these people apart from the rest. First Chronicles 16, 12 says, remember the one, uh, wonder, uh, wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced, the judgments of his mouth, that is. So whatever he uttered with his mouth is what they needed to live by because he's the righteous God. The words that come out of his mouth are what? Righteous. So when they obey then this righteous law or righteous statue, as uh, Psalm 122, 4 says, they will be um, judged as the righteous when they keep the law. When they break the law, they will be judged as the wicked. So it's the law that acquit the innocent and convicted or condemn the guilty. What did it do? It acquit the innocent and it condemned the guilty. Deuteronomy 25, 1. So it makes sense, right? You get what you deserve. If you are innocent, you are let go. If you are guilty, you're punished. Very rational. So that was the law. But Ezekiel 33, um, 13 um, shows how uh, merciless it is because it's so rational that even if one was very righteous, very righteous most of the time, but by breaking even one, that man is no longer righteous. 
that man is not no longer remembered as righteous or his righteousness, but now by that one-time breaking, he will be condemned as guilty, as wicked. Scary? Very scary. Very scary. So that was reminded through the sanctuary, the tabernacle where the name of Jehovah was. The name of Jehovah is the name of the righteous God for the people of Israel that made the people a righteous people, a holy people of God. And the stone tablets were there with the command, Ten Commandments written uh, as a reminder that this ark that stored the stone tablets in the most holy place was seen as the throne, understood as the throne of judgment. What kind of throne? What did it have inside? Stone tablets, which are the righteous law, righteous statues of Jehovah. So this place called the tabernacle, I have a reason why I'm talking about that, right? All these Old Testaments are a shadow of the New Testament, the church era today for us. So the sanctuary, therefore, was referred to as a home of justice or a habitation of righteousness. What was it referred to as, the sanctuary? A habitation of righteousness or a home of justice. The NIV does not really do well here in the translation. Prosperous city, it says. But uh, ESV or uh, New King James, it actually says a home of righteousness, home of justice, because that's where the throne of justice is. God is the just judge and he judges according to his just, his righteous word. Therefore, that judgment is righteous and therefore this is a home of righteous. So they were to remember that the judgment of God is righteous and they are to be found on the right side of God by keeping the law. But in reality, no one was able to keep the law. Even if they were kept, how many commandments altogether? 613. I tell you, I love preaching here. We love preaching at COJ. We go elsewhere. How many? They're like, 10? If they answer that, that is. They don't even do 10. They just go, We're not Jews. Why are you asking us about that? But here we say 613. So even if you kept 612 by missing one, that person would be judged as wicked, guilty, unrighteous. Wow. So all the people will remain hopeless. But there was a prophecy that was giving uh, hope for the people of Israel. And that was that in Isaiah 53... 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Who was Isaiah speaking of? Yeshua, the Messiah. Hallelujah. The righteous servant, he will justify many. So the word justify is to make righteous. Remember, righteousness is God's approval, what God deems as right. If he says it's right, even if people says, well, I think that's wrong. No, God says it's right. It is right. Or people say, those people are wrong. But God says, they're right. Then they're right. Because he alone is righteous. So the righteous servant will come from him who is righteous and will justify many as he will bear their iniquities, their sins. Also in Jeremiah 23, let's read this together. 23, 5 to 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. What is it? The Lord, our righteous savior. Again, who was Jeremiah speaking of? Just like Isaiah, speaking of the man who will come in the name of savior, salvation. What is that name? 
Yeshua, hallelujah, Matthew 1.21. You will call him, you will give him the name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. In English, yes, Jesus, but in his original pronunciation, it's Yeshua, which means the Savior, and that he is the righteous Savior for his people. Standing before this temple, remember what the temple was called? A habitation of what? Righteousness. For whose people? For Israel, not for us. Not for, not, not for the people of China, not for the people of Mexico, no, not these people. Only the people of Israel, for them, the temple of Jerusalem was a habitation of righteous, home of righteousness. So this man having the Savior name, standing before in John 2.19 said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. People went, hallelujah, amen. No, man, we're going to kill you. That's what they said. And they did. They conspired to kill him because they were super, super upset about this as they heard is blasphemy. You know, how dare you say you're going to tear down the habitation, the home of the righteous judge? How dare? Even if you were to break one law out of uh, 600 and you keep all perfectly except for this one, 1%, right? 0.1001, whatever. The smallest part that you miss up and you are still found to be guilty. That was how powerful, how serious God's judgment was. And you say, destroy it. But what Yeshua was referring to was the temple of his body. He was saying that he was going to be destroyed. His body will be destroyed. It will be put to death. But in three days, he will raise it. The body will be raised back to life. So destroy, but he said it will raise, be raised back to life. So what he was referring to was the faith that the people of Israel had, the faith of the Old Testament, which is the habitation of righteousness that came only for the people of Israel in the name of Jehovah. And here's Yeshua saying, yes, that law that acquit acquits the innocent and convicts condemns the guilty which is all rational it makes sense that's what one deserves right but now through his death and his resurrection a new temple a new habitation of righteousness a new dwelling place a new home of righteousness will be established in a new name that's the father's name the name of Yeshua and new law will reign and that law is not the kind of law do's and don'ts and that um acquits the innocent according to that law and uh, condemns according to that law the guilty but this law is called the truth the father's word hallelujah what is the truth who is the truth John 14:6 says i am the way the truth and the life. Hallelujah. But not only himself, but his word, also father's word. John 17, 17. Your word is true. So the father's word is the truth. And he will speak the father's word. And he will do according to the father's um, word. So again, in the Old Testament law that acquitted the, uh, acquit the innocent and, and convicted and condemned the guilty. Uh, and that's why they kept the law and they tried, but no one was successful. It, it all uh, would we be found guilty eventually. But here's Yeshua, the righteous one coming, righteous servant. Remember righteous servant coming from the righteous father God. Now, through his death and his resurrection, he will establish this new law, the truth himself. And this will now be the law. And according to that law, he will find the righteous and the unrighteous. He will judge the innocent and the guilty uh, by finding uh, those who believe him and he will call them righteous. So that's why he said in Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but, but 
I am not called to come to righteous, but sinners. Remember, he said, I'm not come. It's not the healthy that um, the healthy do not need a doctor. It's the sick who needs a savior, not the righteous, but the sinners. Who are the sinners? All men have sinned. This is where the Pharisees were in the wrong. The law keepers of the Old Testament were in the wrong. They thought that by keeping the commandment, right? They're keeping the law outwardly, at least that they were checked off. They were uh, excused or they were, um, they will be uh, found as innocent. But that's why Yeshua was defining and expanding the definition of sin and saying, you are also guilty. You're like white, whitewashed tombs. Inside of the tomb, outside you're whitewashed and you look clean and you have this religious clothing on and you look good and everyone respects you and you, 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 you exercise your authority as a law keeper and law teacher and all of that. But deep inside, you have all this sin that only God knows. And as long as God knows that, you're also condemned as guilty. So you understand like this tension between the Pharisees and Yeshua. And, and you read about that in, in the book of Matthew and 6, 7 and on. And then later on 23 as well, he calls them and he, he, he curses them really. And he is saying here, uh, and he gave the parable um, of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. He talks about um, Pharisee and, and the tax collector standing before the temple. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. I love this prayer. Yeshua saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he doesn't do that. So that's what he's saying in his prayer. I don't know what kind of prayer that it is. It's basically, he's just saying, remember me, I'm righteous. Yes, remember me, I'm righteous. He's not, but I am. Yeah, that was him. But then the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So such contrast. One is the self-righteous. I did this, I did that. I'm not like them. Therefore, I'm innocent. But here is clearly, without a doubt, everyone will say there's a sinner. And remember, why tax collectors got bad rep. It's not like God hates the IRS, you know, workers or anything. You do need to keep, give your taxes and stuff. But anyhow, what God, in the time of Yeshua, is that remember, this was a Roman Empire time, and so Israel was a client state, as in they had their own king, but it was sort of like, you know, just superficial. But they had to actually pay taxes to the colonizers, the Roman Empire. So the tax collectors were like middlemen, but they also cheated their own people. So they would charge them more and keep the surplus. So the people hated them. Like, you're one of us, but you're like leeches. You're like sucking the life out of us. So they were seen as, along with the prostitutes, sinners. But this man confessed that he was a sinner. And what Yeshua says is very interesting and meaningful in verse 14 there. It says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, meaning the Pharisee, the self-righteous one, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what Yeshua is saying is, this sinner is going to be justified. He is the one who is justified by the righteous God. He is going to be called righteous by the righteous God. While the other one who said, I kept the law, I kept the law, he will remain as guilty, for he truly is guilty. So what Yeshua is saying is, I'm going to reveal to you what the a truth is, and that is that he is. Yeshua himself is the righteous, and whoever he calls will be righteous. How can he do that? Because he's the righteous. Let's go to John 1, 1. Quickly, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was 
with God and the word was God. He was with God. So God being who? God is righteous. He is the righteousness. He himself is the law, right? The law. So where it says the word was God, we should read the word was righteousness. He's the, he's the law. Whose word is the law. Whose judgment is the law. So that is who he is from the beginning. You see the banner up there, right? He who was in the beginning, like the star at night. Even before the stars were put in their places, he was. Because he is the eternal God who is righteous. The word who was with him was righteous. Righteousness. And then that word, that righteousness in verse 14, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So what do we say? The righteousness became flesh. Let's say it together. The righteousness became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Are you putting all the pieces together like puzzles coming together? Yes? So the righteousness came. The righteousness was decided by the righteous father. In the beginning, he said, I'm going to reveal myself through the word, whole logos. The word is not sound, but it's the part of God that will be manifested, that will, who would be revealing God. Remember that Pastor Kang's sermon about the moon shining the sunlight into the planet Earth, right? So we see the moonlight and we see the sun that we can't see. So the moon is Yeshua who, who revealed the face of God because no man can see God. But he revealed himself because he's the word that was decided in the beginning, but along with the the revelation that he was going to judge by that righteousness. That righteousness, therefore, became flesh. The word became flesh. God, who knows no sin, became flesh to become sin for us, the sinners of the world, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. But this will only be known by the Holy Spirit coming. That's what Yeshua said in John 16, when the Holy Spirit, the advocate comes, I will be no more here. After I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. So that's what he said in John 16, 10 about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be when Yeshua had died, resurrected, ascended to heaven. He's no longer visible. He's no longer in the world. But the Holy Spirit, who also is invisible, once he comes, he will let the believers who are in the world know that Yeshua is the righteousness. That he is the law, and whoever he, whomever he deems to be righteous will be called righteous. Amen? So for him to do this work, he had to go to his death, and that's why he did not avoid. He did not escape. Instead, he went willingly to death on that cross. As he died on the cross, treat, being treated like an animal, like a sinner, flogged, nailed, sped on, beaten out, and mocked, he died, and as he died, he said, it is finished. Because that's when he fulfilled the will of the Father, That is to reveal the Father and glorify the Father as the righteous God. The righteousness. Because what he did was he died according to the command of the Father. The Father gave me the command, John 10, 17, 18, to lay down his life. His death was his obedience to the Father's command. Because the Father is righteous. His word is righteous. His command is righteous. Father's judgment by his word is therefore righteous so even if the world was remember Pontius Pilate he said I don't find anything wrong with this man 
right? He wanted to release him and said, let, let him go. But the, the crowd, he gave him to the crowd because the crowd kept shouting, if you let this criminal go, this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. <gasps> you're going to accuse me of being a traitor to my king. I don't want that. It's okay. Have it your way. I got nothing to do with this man's death. So he washed his hand in the water. The blood is not on my hands. All you people. Because they were shouting, crucify him. So he, though he, what, by the worldly, uh, by the law of the world, even by that standard, he was not found to be guilty. But because it was the command um, of, uh, of the father that he had to willingly lay down his life. And because the crowd was demanding his life, that he be killed on the cross, um, and Pontius Pilate let that be, let that happen. But Yeshua was laying down his life according to Father's command, acknowledging the Father, the Father alone is righteous. He is saying, Father, whatever you said is righteous. Whatever you decided is righteous because you alone are the righteousness. You are the law. Hallelujah. And by obeying to death this way, his act of obedience is described as act of, his act of righteousness. What kind of act? Because he did it according to the father's law. Do you understand? Right? Even the same word being used, you have to understand this. Like the slight difference is that there is the law and he obeyed the law and that obedience is seen therefore right. That is the law. So the father was acknowledged, acknowledged as righteous by the son and the son, his own act is now being acknowledged by the father as righteous when he receives the life back through his resurrection. Hallelujah. He condemned the origin of sin, the devil, the, the origin of sin, the origin of unrighteousness. He's now condemned once for all by Yeshua and by his one act of righteousness. Just as the prophecy said that he would lead many to be justified. Let's go to Romans and see that fulfillment. 5.18. Romans. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sin. So which one man is that? That's right. Adam who disobeyed, right? So all men were made sinners. So all men being part of that Adam called the first Adam became guilty, Right? So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Who is this one man? That is Yeshua who came and died as the last Adam. First Corinthians 15, 45 says, right? So all men are called the first Adam. Yeshua is called the last Adam because he comes, the, he is, um, he comes as man, but he is a life giving spirit. His flesh is not of dust, of earth, but is of heaven, it is spirit. Understood? The word that became flesh. So through his death, now many will be made righteous. So this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah and Jeremiah had said. The righteous servant, the righteous branch coming from the root of David, referring to Yeshua, and that he, through his death, will fulfill this and that make a way for as his he himself is the righteous who knows no sin, right? So First Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered for, uh, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So that means it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. 
there may be unrighteous dying for the righteous. In the back, you know, old days in the slavery time, when slaves can pay the price of the, their master, when, when there was price like flogging or imprisonment or even death, the slave can actually substitute the death of the, the, the owner or somebody who's more noble or whatever. But for the noble, as in the righteous without sin, to take the place of unrighteous, this is unheard of. This is illogical, irrational. Not like the law of the Old Testament. But because God is the righteousness, he decided to do it this way. By sending his son as the righteous servant to be that righteous savior for all men, the righteous will die for the unrighteous. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 saying, God made him who knows no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? By that faith, you will be justified. You'll be called righteous. That's what he established. Hallelujah. He resurrected in three days and his resurrection proved that he is not guilty. When he died, there were two other men who died next to him. Three days after his death, not only three days, 30 days after or 30 years after, nobody ever came back from the grave. Because the other two guys never came back from the dead. They remained dead. That's the reality of sinners. You don't come back to life. But only one man rose from that grave. And that is because he is the righteous one. That his death was proven to be a ransom. Meaning to substitute someone else's sin. uh, To die to pay the price of someone's sin. Not his own. So through his resurrection it was proven. That his death was for our sins. Romans 4.25 says. And he was raised to life for our justification. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I know this is kind of dry, but I'm trying my best to make sense for you, to make it easy, dice it up, and then so it's easy to chew, so you understand. Are you understanding? Am I doing okay? Well, I don't care if I'm, how am I doing. I'm doing my best. Yeah, so whether you get it or not. But this is so important. Do we need to get out of this burning universe? Do you want to get out of this burning universe? Yes. So you better pay attention. This is what tells us how we're going to get out. It is not by us, our own doing, because nobody can keep the law perfectly. It is not just Adam's sin that we have to worry about that we inherit in our sin, in our spirit, but we ourselves have sinned all our lives. Amen? Not only with our bodies, but with our minds, with our hearts, with our words. Hating and, and judging and, 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 and having lustful thoughts and morally carnal desires. All of these are convicted, defined as sin. So how can I, with these sins, Leave the burning universe. How can I be acquitted? Here's the answer. He made the way because he is proven to be the righteous and that he rose to prove that he is righteous and he sat on the heavenly throne, which is the throne of judgment, where here he is judging the righteous and the wicked, the good and the dead, the living and the dead, the good and the evil. And he became the law, the eternal perfect law to judge all spiritual beings. Hallelujah. And finally, according to the promise, the Holy Spirit came. And coming the, come, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gospel spread. The Holy Spirit enters to those, enters in the souls of those who believe. And what he does through the believers is testify this good news. And the good news is this. Believing in what Yeshua has done, that is his redemption, his ransom, that he paid the price of my sins so that I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to pay for them. I don't have to go to hell to pay for my sin. Do you believe that? 
That's the faith believing in the redemption of Yeshua. And by that faith, we are then called righteous. That being called means justify. God, the judge says, I call you right. Even though the devil says, but look, look at the books. They, look at all this stuff they did. Look at all this stuff they're thinking. All the stuff that they touched and did with their bodies and with their words and all of that. They're guilty. But the judge said, they believe that Yeshua is the righteousness. That what he has done is that he, he who knows no sin became sin for them. And paid the price of sin for all men in Adam. And they have received his work and received his blood. Therefore, they are now deemed to be judged to be guiltless. Now righteous in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's go to Romans 3. And we're going to stay there for a little bit. 3, 29 to 30. Romans 3, 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Now remember, the circumcised refers to the Jews. The circumcised, not by faith, but just circumcised, period. Circumcised ones are Jews, right? Who are circumcised by the law of Moses. Because the law says you need to be circumcised. I mean, even before the law that was practiced. But that, right? And then the uncircumcised are referring to the Gentiles outside the law. Now remember, in the eyes of Jews, when they look at the world, the Gentile. Again, Gentile does not mean gentle. It's not a compliment. If you're like, you're Gentile, thank you. No, no, no. It's <laughs> Some people may think, oh, they call me Gentile. No, no, no. It's Gentile. Gentile means pagan, means godless lawless lawless without law there's no law for these people oh wow now that's really serious right they're uncircumcised remember david was like that uncircumcised philistine right that little boy going after the giant warrior and saying that you uncircumcised like what you don't have any fighters here and you bring a little dog barking at me but he beat him he killed him right because he's circumcised a jew Jew, uh, over gentile overcoming in the old testament we saw so that distinction is no more no more effective no more present because now it is by faith and that faith is believing in the righteousness of god so this is shock to jews so when you read a book of romans there especially in that section as well as the book of galatians i mean many places where Paul, who was uh, who was Jew by birth, Jewish by birth, but he converted. He's Christian, right? So now he's an apostle of Christ, writing all this to remind: there's no more distinction. The wall of hostility that divided the world between Jews and Gentiles no more. He tore it down. Now it is not by whether you keep the law of Moses that you are found righteous or not, that whether you are circumcised or not. It is not about that. Now it is by faith. And people like us say, "Hallelujah!" Continue reading, verse twenty-one. Let's jump up, twenty-one. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So pause there. The law and the prophets. What is that about? The law and the prophets? Very good, logo students. The Old Testament. The Old Testament has been testifying, prophesying. The Old Testament, what what are they prophesying? About through the law and through the prophets. It's about the Messiah, Yeshua. Yeshua Christ, Jesus Christ. So the law apart from the law that says righteousness right the righteousness of god has been made known that the law and the prophets been testifying who is that righteousness of god yeshua very good so yeshua so yeshua is the righteousness right that we all agree but then 22 says 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I get so excited reading this because it's like, again, law is legal. Law is very rational. It's logical. You deserve this. You get that. You, you deserve, you were found to be righteous. You deserve life. You go, you, you're, you deserve to be set free. If you break the law, you're found to be guilty. You deserve to be judged, punished, killed. Rational. But here, now new law comes. It is not about the legal definition under the Lamusic law, the Old Testament. But now a new law says the righteousness of God who himself is the righteousness, he showed through his one act of righteousness what righteous is. That he now as the judge will decide who's righteous by those who believe him or not. Believe what about him? That Yeshua is God who knows no sin. Do you believe that? But he did die, didn't he? Yes. So what causes death? Well, people nailed him and speared him. Someone said sin. Sin is what killed him because his body is spirit the price of sin he paid for but it's not his sin but it was the sin of the world the sin of the first adam put on his body therefore when he died my sins were crucified with him do you believe that not only that i died with him do you understand and that's why romans 6 says our old self was crucified with him and by being baptized in the water we bury the old self And when we come out of the water, new creature, new creation belonging, no longer belonging to the devil, the slave driver of all mankind since Adam's sin. But now we belong to Christ, a new owner, new Lord, new master. And now we will resurrect to life, promise to resurrect to life because of Christ. Hallelujah. So how amazing is this? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Again, the Jewish way is by keeping the law, which proven to be impossible. But lawless, godless people like us hearing this good news through the Holy Spirit, through the witnesses in the world that we have heard the good news, believing in the redemption of Yeshua and that without price, freely, amazing grace, amazing gift of God came to me. How many of you believe that? And 25, 26, read that. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just as the one who justifies those who have faith in jesus do you have faith in jesus what about again that he is sinless but he died to pay the price of say that what do you believe about yeshua And that this has been given to you and me uh, without price as grace. Amen. 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 Are you excited about that? That's why you need to know the Bible. How serious the word of God is in all these people by sinning once. And even if they uh, kept for 612 times, they were stoned to death, cut off, burned alive, pushed to death. Pay the price of sin like that. But Here is the righteous God coming himself in the flesh, having done this work. Now he has shed his precious blood. So whosoever receives the blood, have you received the blood of Yeshua? The innocent, the righteous blood of the righteous one. You have received, amen? 
That means that we can now legitimately, not illegitimately, illegally, but legally leave this burning universe, this prison cell. Hallelujah. So it's like, I don't know if you have heard like this week, um, some historical event happened with some execution, you know, it still happens in this country in Alabama, state of Alabama, uh, this uh, person who was on death row, he uh, was to be put to death by lethal injection, which it became, it was like a botch, like it, it didn't work out. Can you imagine? He thinks he's getting killed, but he's feeling all the pains and panic, but it didn't kill him. So they had to come up with this new innovative, never done before, um, by nitrogen, nitrogen gas, which mimics being suffocated, which doesn't sound pleasant either. So he's been death row and there was a whole thing, the nitrogen, the mask may leak and the, the pastor who was there to bless him or pray for him may be exposed. So he had to sign the waiver. It was making news. It's like, it's never been done. Um, and, um, this poor man was like interviews for uh, a murder that he was convicted, a murder that took place, I think in the eighties or something like that. So he's been in death row for decades, decades. And, and by then, you know, they say about a lot of people in death row, um, they just gain weight because, you know, when you're in like regular prison, not that it's fun, but at least they like shoot basketball and they work out, they go to the gym because they have prospect. Like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm going to stay healthy. I'm going to stay um, sane and I'm going to get out. But people who are in death row, they don't get out. They don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But for this man, he knew exactly when it was going to happen. But basically the way for the man or anyone who's on death row to get out is when he's dead. Very sad, right? Sobering but sad. But bring that to us here in the burning universe. Not only because the universe is physically too large, but because it's spiritually guarded by angels locking in the fallen angels, the rebellious ones. And we being slaves of the devil, we're going to go into that fire when this whole place burns up. That was our reality. But because God who had in plan, yes, he is the righteous one, the judge, but because he's patient with us, not wanting any one of us to perish, he's been waiting like a day, like a thousand years, thousand years, like a day for one more man to turn to repentance and be saved. This time has been come existing till this world has been existing the way it is to this day. So I too can hear and repent, receive this good news, the gospel. And by receiving, by believing, I would be justified and receive the right to leave this burning universe. Hallelujah. So no longer does the devil have anything to bring charges against me. The law has nothing to condemn and the righteous judge has nothing to judge because now I have the blood of Yeshua as a shield. The blood is now shield and it wraps me, shields me, hides me. The old self, the guilty one that I physically confess through baptism. If you have done this, say amen. So Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. So you need to know the law. You need to know the old Testament. You need to read it and study and really take it hard. Like, wow, wow, the weight of the law. And by the law, I will be found guilty 100%. Even I might have not done this, but in my heart, I've done all of it and more. Amen? Then you're, you're fearful of the judgment of God. That's why I say you need to fear God, fear the word of God, fear the reality of hell. Because I am in the place that will become hell. But the only way that I can leave, and, and there was no possibility at all. But as a dead man, one will leave the prison cell. And that is the fact that I died with him. 
You understand? I die with Christ. So now dead man, the sinner is dead, gone. The sinner is no more. Now I'm a new creature, new creation belonging to Christ. And I can follow Christ to death and to resurrection and get out of here. Hallelujah. But the reality is, having had now piggybacked on the righteousness of Yeshua, piggyback. We call it a hitchhike or piggyback. I don't have righteousness on my own. I don't have any deeds that, to, that I could speak of. But now I have, I'm piggybacking on the righteousness of Yeshua. Pastor King talks about it from time to time, and I had to kind of like Google it because I don't know what she was talking about. But in 1971, Christmas Day, there was this massive hotel fire in Korea where um, 164, I think this still, yes, yay, Korea, this is still the, um, the biggest disaster uh, for hotel, hotel fire. Still, I think to this day, 164 people died and 63 injured. Uh, it's a sky, um, skyscraper fire. And they say the design itself was flawed. They didn't have fire escape um, and the doors were not fireproof, whatever. But it was live cast. And, you know, back in, back in the day, only a few channels. So everyone only, everyone only watched that because it was, on, like, it was on all the time. The whole day meant they were trying to uh, rescue the people. And she says she remembers watching it because it happened on Christmas Day. And there was a lot of people... Uh, uh, in the hotel, what were they doing? They're partying. I mean, drinking like crazy and doing bad stuff, bad stuff. Um, and people were jumping out of the burning. It's almost like the imagery of the, the Twin Towers, you know, falling in that fire. So people jumped out of the fire, uh, burning uh, building to death. But then eventually the helicopters came to rescue these people. Uh, and some, uh, somehow they would, they, they, you know, they dropped the rope, I guess, attached to the uh, helicopter. And she remembers hearing, seeing a man on live, like, you know, uh, live streaming um, TV uh, news that this man uh, held onto the rope. He was buck naked. So everyone was watching and they were like just biting their nails like, you know, hoping for these people to survive and they're like, this man's naked. Oh God. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, oh no, hopefully he survives. Um, but they, uh, she remembers watching this man and he was uh, buck naked. It's like, what was he doing that, you know, that he was naked? Anyhow, so that being, doing bad stuff, yeah, bad stuff, partying all night and naked there. But now it's a matter of life and death. So from the high rise, wherever floor that he got picked up, he had to be uh, moved to, uh, obviously, safe zone to, to drop him off. Until then, they, they showed the whole time <laughs> this poor naked man. But he clung to the rope all the way to the end to survive because right he's not worried like am i naked or do i look good on tv or is mommy my my mommy watching me or you know my kids watching this he has no no chance to think about that the only thing he can think of is i need to cling this rope like like all my life if i let it go i'm gonna die so I don't want to die in the burning of a building, but I need to get out and I need to cling. And Pastor King uses this imagery and this experience that happened in real life for Christians. The rope that has been dropped to us is the righteousness of Yeshua. To be brought out from this burning building called the universe, hell. The righteousness of Yeshua that we have received without a price, undeservingly, is the blood of Yeshua. How many of you received the blood of Yeshua? Even though all my life I've done everything that can, and, and I can't even think of one thing that I've done right, that, that would deem me to be righteous in the eyes of God. But the one thing that I'm so glad that I have done is to say, Amen. 
for, for scum like me, for trash like me, for undeserving, worthless sinner like me. You died on that cross, becoming that scum, that trash, that sin. And you pay the price of my sin. So that by believing and receiving, just by this faith, under this new law of faith, I can be set free from the law of sin and death. I can be set free from this burning universe. I am therefore going to cling unto this blood. Yeshua, my only righteousness to the end. Hallelujah. So it means that even if I may fall, yes, certainly The unrighteous man had died with Yeshua. But reality is because of the flesh, we're still tempted. We are living in the world that is still tempting. So we will fall. And time to time that we will sin and we'll be tempted and so on. But because I am justified, I cannot give up. I cannot let go. And that's why 1 John is so powerful. It's saying chapter 2, 1, 2. And said, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate. We have a defender in heaven with the marks on his body and saying, Father, I die for that son, that daughter. I pay for, I pay the price of her sin and his sin, even though he might have fallen today. Know that they have my blood, the righteous blood and forgive them. So in the previous chapter, right before that passage in chapter 1, 8 to 9, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you want your sins to be forgiven this day? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This day. This prayer is made by the children of God, believers, not unbelievers, which is to say, I need his forgiveness daily, daily. So when I pray for forgiveness and to be purified of my own unrighteousness, this is because I'm living in the world that is unrighteous, that is lawless. So describing Lot, who lived in Sodom, we talked about him last week, in Second Peter 2, 5 to 10. It actually says about Noah first, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, the eight people who were saved from the flood. And then Lot, a righteous man, verse 7 it says, Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So what it's saying is the world itself is filled with lawlessness and unrighteousness because they know not the righteousness of God. They know not the righteous God. They do not believe the righteous word of God. Therefore, they will be judged as unrighteous, guilty, wicked, and be punished in the end. So living in this world, the warning is to not befriend the world, not love the world. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Do you want to be an enemy of God? After all this, to be found as enemy of God? After all that God has done? 
And then because I'm still loving the world and being tempted by the world, I'm still falling in and following what the world likes, what the world enjoys, the pleasures of the world, the riches of the world, and the pride of the world. I'm chasing after that. Right? The pride of, um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If I'm still pursuing that and tempted by that, then I am part of the world and therefore having enmity against God. And how can anyone having enmity against God and be found as enemy of God be saved from this burning universe? Even if I have been justified because of a reality where I am, I'm at risk of still being left behind. I'm at risk of letting go of the rope. Cling onto the rope means that I am overcoming the temptation, overcoming the world. The enemy's not out there. People love to say, the enemy this, the enemy that. Enemy's this, this. So if I let go and follow what this wants, then I'm found to be an enemy of God. Even after all this, having received the righteous blood of Yeshua, being justified by his grace. So the warning by the Holy Spirit for the believers in the world is that your salvation is not completed yet. You're in the world. Your friends in the world are the, that is the world. The workplace is the world. Your family is unbelievers, even believers, even believers. If the word, the righteous word does not rule and govern that family, even though the family may be members of COJ, that's still the world. If we're not paying attention, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we let go. The flesh reigns. The world reigns. And that's the enemy of God right there. So we have to always keep in mind through the warning of the Holy Spirit where we are. We have been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So the day of God's wrath is coming. Once Yeshua comes back, do you believe that he's coming back? The end will begin. Call it the Armageddon, the apocalypse, all the signs that Yeshua gave himself. All will unfold. And then the, the great judgment will take place and the entire universe will be set on fire. By the same way they created the world, this world will be set on fire. And we sure hope that none of us will be left behind. So the lawlessness, so we are to not befriend with the, not befriend the world, not love the world. As again, 1 John 2, 15, 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the father, the love of the father is not in them for everything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So while we are passing through the world, we are to not love the world, and at the same time, that we are to be tormented, tormented by the lawless deeds that we see in the world. Again, lawless, we think, again, lawless is like the murderers out there, the thieves right there, the terrorists out there. Sure, but they're already unbelievers and law. It doesn't matter that, you know, in the end, same result. So the lawlessness, again, uh, and almost in, in Greek is without law, and it is being destitute of law, like uh, absent of Mosaic law of the Old Testament, but departing from the law, leaving the law, leaving what is right, going astray from what is right, violating what is right. So now we are living by the word of Yeshua, which is righteous. If we go away from the word of Christ, do not obey and do not follow, then we go off, that is called lawless. So lawlessness, not just out in the far away in prisons out there, no. Lawlessness, even within the church, with even from my brothers and sisters. If I see that, I must be tormented. I must pray for that. And then I need to guide that soul to the right path. That's the responsibility I have for myself, my soul, my family, and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. 
So until I leave, until we leave, we are to cling, cling, and run to this refuge on earth called the new habitation of righteousness. Simply, new home of righteousness. Yes, the eternal home, the eternal safe zone is in heaven, the Father's house, a new heaven and new earth. That's where we want to end in the end. And in the end, that's our final goal. Amen? Until then, we have a home away from home. Home away from home. The home of righteousness away from the home of righteousness. And that is the body of Christ, the church that belongs to Christ Yeshua, the righteousness. Amen? So into the gathering like the Lord's worship, Lord's Day worship, we come. We kick off the new week by honoring Him and obeying Him, His word. And then we gain strength we need and throughout the week we come into the gathering. All the official gatherings we come because we are souls who need to live by the law, the righteousness of Yeshua. Amen? Clinging. And even though I try and try, I fail. I didn't mean to, but I failed. Should I give up? Should I just go back to the world or kill myself? We can't. It will be like that naked man letting go of the rope. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the world, what the world uh, accuses me of. I'm going to cling to the righteousness of Yeshua. I'm going to cling to the blood rope of Yeshua until it pulls me out of this burning universe and brings me in to the Father's house, the home of righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Without works, we have been justified. Without our price, we have been deemed righteous. Right in the eyes of the righteous God. How could that happen? How did I deserve this grace? For the purpose of life, which is eternal life, I must make the resurrection to life the goal of my life. Because where I live is the place that will become hell. How am I going to get out? By clinging to this blood rope, this lifeline, the righteousness of Yeshua, the blood of Yeshua, that I, only by His grace, have received. I shall run into it, hide in it, cling to it. I shall never let go. Let's raise our hands and surrender, but let's make fists like we are holding onto that robe, the blood robe of Yeshua. I shall never let go. Help me, Yeshua.